morning. Good news. How is everyone? Awesome. You, you braved the storm and, and came in. That's amazing. We have uh, somebody who's going to read for us today. We're going to do a little something different. Um, we're going to put the English translation that you can read along with on the screens. But Alan, our intern, he works in the youth department. Woo! Come on, Alan. <laughs> He's going to speak in Spanish. And here's the thing. So let me just set you up for this. He's going to speak in Spanish, and it's going to be beautiful, and then I'm going to have to speak after. And you're going to be really disappointed, because he does an incredible job. So if you guys would stand, let's read scripture. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 13, and starting with verse 22. Continuando su viaje en Jerusalén, Jesús enseñaba en los pueblos y aldeas por donde pasaba. Verse 23. Señor, ¿son pocos los que van a salvarse? Le preguntó uno. Verse 24, esfuércense por entrar por la puerta estrecha, contestó, porque les digo que muchos tratarán de entrar y no podrán. Verse 25, tan pronto como el dueño de la casa se haya levantado a cerrar la puerta, ustedes desde afuera se pondrán a golpear la puerta diciendo, Señor, ábrenos, pero él les contestará, no sé quiénes son ustedes. Verse 26, entonces dirán, comimos y vivimos contigo y tú enseñaste en nuestras plazas. Verse 27, pero él les contestará, Les repito que no sé quiénes son ustedes. Apártense de mí, todos ustedes hacedores de injusticia. Verse 28. Allí habrá llanto y rechinar de dientes cuando vean en el reino de Dios a Abraham, Isaac y Jacob, a todos los profetas mientras a ustedes los echan fuera. Verse 29. Habrá quienes lleguen del oriente y del occidente, del norte y del sur, para sentarse al banquete en el reino de Dios. Verse 30. En efecto, hay últimos que serán primeros y primeros que serán últimos. Verse 31. En ese momento se acercaban a Jesús unos fariseos y le dijeron, Sal de aquí y vete a otro lugar, porque Herodes quiere matarte. Verse 32. Él les contestó, Vayan y díganle a ese zorro, Mira, hoy y mañana seguiré expulsando demonios y sanando a la gente, y al tercer día terminaré lo que debo hacer. Verse 33. Tengo que seguir adelante hoy, mañana y pasado mañana, porque no puede ser que muera un profeta fuera de Jerusalén. Verse 34. Jerusalén, Jerusalén, que matas a los profetas y apedreas a los que se te envían. ¿Cuántas veces quise reunir a tus hijos como reúne la gallina sus pollitos debajo de sus alas, pero no quisiste? Verse 35. Pues bien, la casa de ustedes va a quedar abandonada, y les advierto que ya no volverán a verme hasta el día que digan, bendito el que viene en el nombre del Señor. Let's pray. Padre Celestial, tantas gracias por tu palabra, Señor. Yo te pido... Que tú hables a través de la boca de Pastor Jason, mi Dios, y que nosotros podamos tomarla con oídos gratos, mi Dios. Gracias, en tu nombre. Amén. Yeah. Good job, Alan. You guys may be seated. I wanted to just publicly thank all of you who prayed for Alabama yesterday. Man, I, I really do appreciate you guys showing up today um, because it, it is a hassle to have to dig out. And um, so I appreciate you guys being here. I, I did want to preface this message with uh, a couple of thoughts. So one of the things that, and I know some of you guys probably already do this anyway, but part of growth is actually digging into the word to kind of get a, an, an understanding, a context, and uh, not just reading scripture, but under, understanding uh, what that scripture means and, and what it meant back then and what it means to us today. And so, 
Whenever we stand up here and we preach a message, we want to do a number of different things. We want to make sure we're challenging our seasoned Christians, but we also want to teach our younger. Because there's, you know, there's always this, this big gap between what people know. But there's no way to do it in a reasonable time frame that everybody, everything can be explained and unpacked that everybody can understand. So I challenge you guys, whenever we teach on a portion of scripture, that week, go, uh, go to Google, type in Luke 13, 22 through 35, and just put commentary and read it. Get an understanding. I've spent so much time thinking through the scripture. Literally, I woke up at five o'clock this morning and my brain was already thinking on this set of scriptures. And I'm like, come on, man, give me a break. I want to sleep a little bit more. And so that's what your body, your brain will do. You'll begin to understand. You'll begin to process your thinking and meditating on it, even when you're not being intentional. And that's how God will begin to speak to us. But listen, uh, the, the, God expects us to, to be faithful, to apply the word. And the only way we can do that is to understand what it means. So I'm, I'm actually challenging you guys, make sure you go and you look up some commentaries and read uh, what this section of scripture verses mean. So uh, from Luke 9, G, uh, Jesus is ready to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents his death. He is about to die for the sin of humanity. This is one of the reasons why he came. It is the ultimate reason why he came. And he did it because he loves humans. He loves us. We are made in his image, but we are sinful by nature. And in order for us to be in relationship to him, he's got to shed his perfect blood as the ultimate sacrifice so that now we can come to a perfect God and to have relationship. So he is still teaching. He's still preaching. He's still instructing. He's still healing. He's still setting people free. But his eyes are on Jerusalem because he's going to offer himself as a sacrifice. I always find that amazing because when I'm under stress, I don't always focus on the, the most important things, right? I focus on the things in the moment, but he's doing focus on the things in the moment, but he's, he's set on Jerusalem to offer this sacrifice. I love Jesus. It's incredible. And the thing is, he was, he was fully human and fully God. So he felt all the emotions, the stress, the frustrations, the anger that we feel and yet he did not sin and he continued to the cross. So uh, we, we find that as he's healing and as he's teaching, there's a person in verse 23 that says, I, I don't know where this question came from. Maybe he's heard some of the, the teachings of Jesus talking about repent or perish or, or, or what have you. And he asks this question and he says, Will few be saved? Will only a, a handful of people be saved? Will only a few people be saved? Because he's listening to all these teachings, all these, these expectations that God says, listen, you got to give your life fully to the kingdom. And he asks the question. And sometimes Jesus will respond to the question. And sometimes he responds to the person. And he actually responds to the person. And he says... Strive or work hard to enter through the narrow door. Now, when you read something like that in Scripture, you have to understand he is speaking a pitch, a word picture to something they understand. Okay, I want to unpack that strive or that work hard 
uh, word for just a moment. It's where we get our word agonize. Agonize to enter into this narrow door. It had its uh, uh, origination in an athlete that is constantly preparing and working his body and contending to, to win. And then it, 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 it kind of transitioned to fighting and contending. We see it in Colossians 4.12 when we wrestle with prayer and then fighting the good fight of faith in Timothy. And Jesus tells that the hearers, he says, make every effort to enter through this narrow door. Now, he's speaking to a religious group and, and they were supposed to keep this law and they were supposed to not just be religious, like have religious obligations. Like, here's the thing. Anybody ever heard the, the analogy, you know, uh, your car, you park it in a carport, but just because you walk into the carport does not make you a car, right? In similar ways, just because you're sitting your backside in a pew does not make you a Christian. Okay? So he's saying just because you're following rules does not mean I have your heart. And he's trying to bring this to an illustration. Just because you're trying to look good on the outside does not mean... That you are being transformed on the inside. And he's saying contend to apply what you know every single day. Now I looked at um, a commentary and the commentary was talking about the narrow door. And it's not something we're we're familiar with here. The only thing I could really, uh, I think Pastor Raphael would probably understand this. Is that if you were going to a club and you got a back door that you could go through, right? That was the only thing I could, I could put it in our context. But a narrow door. So back then, in order to protect the city, they would build walls, right? And so they'd have a, a large gate. I think that hit home for Victoria. She knows that to be true. There, there was a wall around the city and it was a large gate and it would allow troops to go through and, and horses and carts and merchandise and stuff to go through. But there was also a, a, a narrow door, a small door that individuals could walk through. And you had to know where it was. And they had to recognize who you are. And you would knock on that door and then they would let you in. But you had limited amount of things that you could bring through that door. All right? And then at night... And this is where Jesus is getting to. At night, nobody could enter the door. It was shut. You could knock all day long or all night long and you would not gain entrance until the next day. And Jesus is beginning to unpack something for them. He's he's saying, you've got to strive. You've got to work hard to apply your faith to enter, to stay in uh, in relationship with me and, and to enter this door. And then he says this. He says, he's trying to create another picture of a, a, a a man who's throwing a feast, a wedding. I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus is called the bridegroom and we're the bride. Now, men really struggle with that concept. But that's, that's what it is, is there's going to be this marriage at the end of, of life here in eternity. We're going to be one with God. This is why he came, is to pay a price so that we would be one together. And he's painting this picture of this feast. And Jews automatically think they're going to heaven because of their their lineage and their heritage and they're following all these rules. And he's going, some of you guys are going to show up at the banquet, at this wedding feast, and they're not going to let you in. 
And you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, we were in the streets as you taught. We were around you and we ate and drank with you. We should be able to get in because, right, isn't it who you know, right, to get in? And he said, listen, I don't know you. This is this depth of intimacy and relationship. We've talked about this before. Just because you see me does not mean that you know me. You know about me. And I may know about you, but it doesn't mean I know you. And Jesus is going, I need to know you. And he goes on and he begins to transition to something else. And he says, you're going to look in and you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're patriarchs of the faith, right? But the funny thing is, in this time, religious people are trying to follow the law. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob trusted God by faith. It wasn't just about obeying stuff. It was about, I want to know this God and I'm going to walk this life with him. And he's, they're, they're, they're going to get there and they're going to say, I see my uh, patriarchs. Like if you have a great grandfather, I, I, don't, I didn't know anything about my great grandfather. Imagine that you did. And he was a man who was godly and he was a man that all the community knew and everybody honored them because of faith. And in your mind, you go, surely I'm going to get into heaven because of my great-grandfather. And Jesus is going, that's not going to happen. Because it is individual between each of us. And he begins to show them this finality of this picture. It's not religious heritage. It's authentic relationship through faith. And then he, he begins to show that there are going to be people that you don't expect that are going to be able to enter heaven. Because the Jews at the time, uh, somebody who was a foreigner, somebody who what they called a Gentile, somebody not of, of Jewish faith was considered a Gentile, and, and they would not be able to, to enter heaven. Uh, Chris and I, I, I am uh, white. I'm not really sure what my origin is. I'm uh, probably muddy. And then Chris is Cuban-Puerto Rican. And so our kids probably wouldn't have been able to go to heaven in, in terms of Jewish culture, right? Because there, there's a mixture there. And he's saying, no, Gentiles will be able to go. There'll be every tongue, every, every people group. And here's the thing, because they understood the Bible. He's speaking to a very, uh, a, a culture that understands the word. You can go back to Isaiah 49 and it talks about there's going to be a light to the Gentiles, and he's saying, I am the light to the Gentiles. It's not just going to be Jews. It's going to be by faith that every people group will be a part of heaven. So here's what I'm trying to say. A lot of times we may come to church and we sit in a pew and we kind of go through the motions. And we feel like we're in relationship with God. But there needs to be this pursuit of God to stay in relationship. Our, our state, the state of our, our church and Christianity is really interesting. Uh, Barna, they do a lot of research with Christianity and, and religion in general. And they, they put together this uh, survey. And they're well known. And this is what, this is what they said. That only 17% of Christians, according to this survey, actually have a biblical worldview. Okay, now I'm going to explain what that means. 17, one in five, less than one in five, actually have a biblical worldview. That means they believe that there is an absolute moral truth. That Satan is considered to be a real being, an entity, and not just symbolic. 
So only one in five actually believe that. The Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. One in five. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works. So according to this, four out of five believe that if you're good enough or you do enough good stuff, you're going to be able to go to heaven. Only one in five believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. Guys, that's, that's the whole thing. If Jesus is not sinless, there is no sacrifice to take away our sin. There is no entrance into heaven. There is no relationship. Why do I say that? Because I know there are, there are people in a congregation this size that you have to come. Somebody's putting pressure on you. You know, a, a husband or a wife or a parent or maybe a, a kid's trying to guilt you into coming to church. And I love the fact that you're here. But just because you're sitting in a pew does not mean you have a relationship with Jesus. And then there are people that... You know, you come to church because that's what, that's what your family has always done. It's part of our heritage. We go to church. And even that does not mean that you have this relationship with Jesus. And, and this is what Jesus is talking about. And he lets them know there will be a time at the end when Jesus and the Father is going to go, you can't enter heaven. And there's this finality to it. Um, you know, some of you guys have experienced a loved one dying. And there's this finality that comes with knowing in this life, I won't be able to see them again. When Caleb was diagnosed with diabetes, I remember Krista went to Florida and I sat on the couch. And, and listen, it's manageable, but it's still the end of what was a normal, healthy life. And I remember sitting there for days and just going, man, this is not what I thought my son would live. There's a finality to it. Even though I believe in healing and things like that. I'm just saying in that moment. And this is what he's trying to get them to understand. Is there is this, this is real. And there is a, a, a real barrier that may keep you from being in relationship with God and entering into heaven. And church, I just got to be honest with you. I don't want to dumb down the scripture. This is the whole reason why we're here is relationship with Jesus and the expression of his love through us to the world around us. And so then there's a, this transition in, in verse 31 and he, uh, a Pharisee, a teacher, a Pharisee was a teacher of the law. They knew the law well. And for some reason they tell him, Hey, you need to leave Jerusalem. You don't need to go to Jerusalem because Herod wants to kill you. Herod was a, a ruler of that area. And I don't know if they meant it. I don't know if they're trying to run him out of Jerusalem. I don't know if they really care. Because some people recognize that this, is, this man is different. But he says something. He says, you go tell that fox. So, uh, hold on. You know, in, in, in these times, kings wanted to be known as lions. Right? Bold. And he, go, he says, you go tell that fox. So I don't know if this is early biblical time smack talk. I don't know. <laughs> But, but he's, he's saying this, and then he says, I'm going to continue to heal. I'm going to continue to cast out demons. I'm going to continue to live the kingdom. And then he goes, on the third day, I'll be perfected. And he's speaking of his death and resurrection. And it's, it's interesting. Do you guys remember, uh, many of you probably are too young, uh, the rest of us, I think it was in the 90s, 
there was something called the perfect storm. Three uh, fronts move together and it creates this unbelievable havoc on the East Coast. A movie was made about it and it was just, it was one, a phenomenon. Well, you see the same thing happening here. You have religious people that are buffeting Jesus, right? And they're wanting to control behavior. You got to get the laws right. Hearts don't matter. We just want you to follow the rules. All this time, God's going, you're not listening to me. You're doing something other than what I meant. But it's about controlling behaviors, controlling people, because we want you to look the part, even if you're not actually living the part, right? And then you have the political system. You have uh, Rome is crushing nations and keeping people under bondage, wanting to control by power. So you have these two things. And Jesus is about to introduce a new kingdom, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of praying, a new, a new way of expecting, a new way uh, that, that can't be stopped. It's introducing this new thing. And you, you see the perfect storm brewing. It's the same thing today. You still see a religious system that wants people to play the part, come to church, pay your tithes, but we just want you to show up. We just want you to get your behavior right. And then you have a political system that they just want you to get your vote so they can be in office. Or that they can control certain things. And then Jesus is like, I'm not going to be somebody who serves religion and I'm not going to be somebody who serves politics. I'm going to be about what God told me to do. And here's the thing. Here's, here's the interesting dynamic that I see is that religion and politics will still meet. They'll compromise to try to work together. But the kingdom will never compromise. Listen, I challenge Challenge politics, challenge your party, challenge them to, to do what is right biblically. But if you, you can't legislate change in the heart, it's something that the kingdom is supposed to bring transformation from within that brings change without. And that's our responsibility. Every person in this room is our responsibility to bring the kingdom. That's why you can pray, you can share, you can live, you can lead, because the kingdom is coming through you. And Jesus won't stop. He knows where this is leading. Eventually, religion and politics will send him to his death, but it was what was designed anyway. And the kingdom is still moving forward. We see in, in verse 34, we see the heart of God. He begins to go, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to draw you near and to put my arms around you. He gives this, this picture of a chick. I think we were talking about it in our, um, uh, our the, the message. We, we sometimes grapple or, or wrestle with, with what scripture is saying. And somebody said that... Uh, uh, a chick or a mother, a mother hen has found in a, um, I'm so sorry, in, this wasn't in my notes, farm. on a farm, yeah, and a, a, a wildfire, thank you, a wildfire came through and the mother had given her life for the chicks and they still found a couple of the chicks alive. 
And this is what he's saying is, I I wanted to bring you close to me. And you've got a pattern of killing those that I've sent to you. And you're going to do the same thing to me. And yet my heart is still for you. For those of you who, who you feel like God is angry at you or mad at you or wants to destroy you, this is a picture that you need to be familiar with. Your sin separates you from God, but he came to die for your sin that you could have access to him. And Jesus gives us this picture of how we are supposed to live. Because here's the thing. Don't all of you get, get messed up in the day-to-day life, right? There's job, there's issues in, in politics, and social media is rewiring our brain. We're, we're all stressed out and we're frustrated, right? But ultimately, the reason why we're alive, the reason why we have breath in our lungs is to bring praise to Jesus and to give him our life. Not just a Sunday, not just some finances, but to actually live for him. I love this picture that Jesus, he knows what he has to do and he's going to do it. He still does it in love. He came to die that we may be forgiven and live for him. And this big picture is to be totally sold out to him. I had uh, a, a friend of mine. When I lived in Alabama, I had uh, two friends, actually. And they were living in an apartment. And uh, one night, Sean was sitting in his bed. And he had the door open. And the hallway was right outside of his door. And his friend David had gone to sleep. And all of a sudden, he sees David run past his door. And he was like, well, that's weird. So he got up. And he went and looked out. And the door going outside is open. So he, he goes outside. Now, uh, Sean is in his underwear. So he jogs out and looks. And David is running down the sidewalk in front of the apartment complex in his underwear. So he, he looks and he says, David, what are you doing, David? And David looks back. And he looks forward and he looks. And then he said he ran in place In a strange way, for like three seconds, he went. And then he ran on the sidewalk in between the apartment buildings. So Sean is running down the sidewalk parallel to him to find out what is going on with David. So he runs, and when he gets to the the other side of the apartment building, David is running down the sidewalk as fast and as slow as he possibly can. And so Sean begins to chase him, and he runs after him, and he catches him. And he goes, David, David. And it was like his eyes finally opened. And he looked and he said, man, he said, I had a dream that a bomb was about to go off. And it was going to kill a million people. And I had to go to to detonate the bomb or or to not detonate it. That would kill everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Diffuse, thank you. You definitely don't want me working with bombs. That's all I'm telling you. But he sat there and he went, it's all right, man. It's all right. It's okay. So he put his arm around my friend. So both of them are in their underwear at 12 o'clock at night, walking back to their apartment. So but why do I say this? Because in the dream, the only thing David could think about was the main thing. And he was about it. And I think sometimes we get so distracted with all the stuff that we have forgotten that we're here. The reason why we're here 
is to represent Him and to bring change on the earth. Nikki Gumbel is, uh, is the writer of the curriculum Alpha Course in England. And he talks about vision. And vision just being a, a picture of what we're supposed to live. And this is what he says. Vision is a holy discontent. A deep dissatisfaction with what is combined with clear grasp of what could be. So you, you're living in tension. It is a picture of uh, a mental sight of the future that inspires hope. Vision without action is merely a dream. I want to stop right there for just a second because I feel like there's a lot of Christians that we talk about things that we won't do. We pray about things that we won't do. Action without vision is a nightmare, but vision combined with action can change the world. Three things. In your day-to-day life, are you looking to apply the gospel to every area of your life? Because see, what we do is we compartmentalize, right? Sundays are for God. Mondays through Fridays are for my work. A couple of nights a week may be for my family. And yet God's going, I want it all. I want every aspect of your life. That's mine. Every day. I'll walk you through the frustrations. I'll walk you through uh, the things that you didn't think would come. I'll bring change and transformation to your heart and your life. It's not always going to turn out like you thought, but I'll be there. I want access. Some people in this room, you come out of obligation because somebody has an expectation that you should be here. You're dating somebody and you think this is the best way to get married, but it's not real. And Jesus wants relationship with you. But that means Lord and Savior. That's not forgive me for my sins and thank you, I'll go do what I want to. It is your life. He demands your life. And the last thing is, sometimes we forget that the reason why we're here is not to do our jobs. That's part of it. Not just to have our family and love our family. That's part of it. Not just to, to come and meet on Sunday mornings. That's part of it. But it's to keep him front and center and to give our lives for what he needs. What he asks. And church, don't you want a life that costs you something? Man, don't ask me to do something that can be done by anybody. Give me something that I need the help of God that I can do. I need something bigger than what anybody can do. I just don't want to fake it. So my questions to to some people today... How are you loving your wife? How are you loving your wife? Are you really loving your wife? That's a a biblical mandate. I hear stories of of husbands cheating on wives and and wives, they, they stick with you. Women, are you respecting your husbands? They're, they're people who respect them publicly and, and undercut them privately. Kids, are you honoring your parents? You know the sacrifices they've made for you? They're not perfect, and neither are you. Are we loving our enemies? 
Are we being God's example to the world around us? Are we bringing justice to the world around us? Are we, are we politicizing things that really honestly help somebody gets here to America? What is my responsibility when they get here? What, what about the, the orphan and the widow and, and the foster kids? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? I don't want to talk about it anymore. What are we doing? Are you meditating and reading the word and obeying? Do you pray like prayer really changes things? This is Christianity. Not meeting in a room like this. It is what we do on the inside. It is, it is transformation that, takes, that, that impacts the world around us on the outside. We had a men's group on, on Friday uh, morning. And we're going to keep doing this monthly because we want to meet with men. We want to see real relationships with men. And one of the things we asked him is, who are you accountable to? Men, who are you accountable to? It's easy to sit in a pew and hide. It's easy to not be accountable. It's easy to fake it. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. And in reality, you've got stuff that you're not dealing with or you're hiding. And the gospel demands that we're accountable. So... This message, I know, is a little probably difficult to hear. But it's the real deal. And if we're actually going to be Christians, then we've got to ask ourselves, am I living, am I striving to enter into this life that God's called us to? I want you to stand to your feet. You're welcome in just a minute to come to the altar, but you don't have to. I want you thinking about it. I want you praying about it. I want you searching your heart. I want you to get, ask God uh, and let him have access to your heart this week. Maybe there's conversations that you need to have. Maybe there's people that you need to pray for. Maybe there's people that you need to invite into your life and church. Maybe you need to have a conversation with, with somebody that you know you guys are mad at each other. Maybe husbands and wives, you need to sit down and say, I'm sorry. Maybe parents and kids, maybe you know what God is speaking to your heart. But are you taking the gospel and making it a part of every aspect of your life? Listen, the Holy Spirit waits for you to ask. He'll show you. He'll walk with you. He'll empower you. There are those in here that you're playing around. You come to church, but you're not a Christian and you know it. And God wants your life. He wants you to surrender to Jesus this morning. And lastly, church, can we keep our eyes on the main thing? Love football, love my house or whatever. But man, I want to be about Jesus, I want to be about what he needs. I want to see transformation on the earth. I want, I want him to receive his inheritance. This is why he died. And, I, and his inheritance is all around us. All around us at work and our neighbors and our family and people we don't know. That's his inheritance. Keep your eyes on that. 
In just a minute, we'll have some people to pray with you. If you've never given your heart to the Lord and you know that, 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 God, that God is dealing with your heart and you need to do this, I want to give my heart, my life forever to Jesus. This is not make me feel better, but I want to give my life. And we're going to pray for you in just a minute. You can come to the altar. But the rest of you, I'm asking you, take some time, get away and think giving every area of my life to God? Is there anything that I need help in? And am I keeping Jesus as the main thing? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so good to us. There is nothing that is impossible to you, God. You always deal with human hearts. You'll deal with our mess. You'll deal with our issues. But you demand our lives. Jesus gave his life. And you demand the same from us. Pray, God, that you would speak to us, challenge us, God, call us deeper with you, Lord. Real relationship, real commitment. God, I pray for this church. This is a regional church. This is a church that can transform this entire area, God. I pray that you would open our eyes, that every every person in this room would be on call. Help us to see, Lord. But call us deeper to you. We love you. We need you. And you'll always follow through. You'll always follow through because that's who you are. We love you, God. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.